Lord Jesus, we do love you because it is you that first loved us. Where would we be? What would we be doing if it wasn't for your love that pursued us? Your grace, your mercy overcame our stubborn hearts and broke us down to where we fell to our face and fell on our knees and said, we can no longer run from you. We can no longer hide from you. And we submitted ourselves to you. And we said, Lord Jesus, come and be Lord and Savior of our lives. That's why we love you here today. That's why we're here in Fairfield. That's why we're seeking to do all that we are doing for your glory and for your namesake. Come now, Holy Spirit. Breathe upon your servant. Fill my mouth with your words. May I be hidden behind the power of the cross. May I die and may you increase. Be lifted up high. Speak to your people. Open up your word. And show us where we are. Remind us, Lord, of this life that you have numbered our days. And that this life that we have been granted is fleeting. In fact, James says it is a vapor. So, Lord, today, speak to your people. Move us closer and closer to where we live for you. And as we sing this song. We love you, Jesus, because you first loved us. This we pray in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, praise team. Carl, I'm getting some kickback here, but I still like this mic, so I'm going to go with it. And we're counting down the days when we will have our own sound system. And praise the Lord, man, because I've been fighting a good fight of faith with my voice here. <laughs> Sometimes I want to give up the ghost. I said, Lord, help me out. I know I have a loud voice, but man, every now and then a good microphone will help you out. So go with that. Well, anyway, stand to your feet. We're going to finish off Romans chapter 13 here today, and we're going to move on. We've been calling this sermon series, God's message first to the world. And now after Romans chapter eight, Paul first time uses the word now that those who have the spirit of God, they are the children of God. So therefore, we have been now for the last four chapters have been calling it God's message to the children of God. That means that you've been born from above. You know that you know that you know, as your grandma would say, that you have the spirit of God residing on the inside of you. And now Paul speaks to us, the church. And he says, walk in love and stay alert. Here we go. Do not owe anyone anything except to love one another for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet and any other commandment are summed up by this commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. Besides this, since you know the time,
it is already the hour for you to wake up from your sleep because now our salvation is nearer than we first believe. The night is nearly over and the day is near. So let us discard the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light and let us walk with decency as in the daytime and not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual impurity and promiscuity and not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. The grass withers and the flower fades. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of our God. Welcome back, my brother, sister here in the house, Brother Dion, Sister Martha. Welcome back. Well, we're going to get into the word of God here. Well, we've come to the close of chapter 13 here today. And as we can see, the Apostle Paul exhortation to the Christians in Rome that he is admonishing them to submit. He has already admonished them to submit to all governing authorities to pay their taxes and their tolls. Some of you, you guys, I said a few weeks ago, I got hit with a big tax bill, but I'm going to be all right. Sandra and I, we're going we're gonna to make it do what it do. But now he comes to a place where he now exhorts. Christians to be debt free. Good thing we got uh, Urban Hope um, Financial Freedom or whatever you call it. <laughs> See, I ain't set this up. Man, God just knows how to just put it together. We got the class coming up and now I'm on the sermon about debt free. And here, so financial debt is a burden. Um, and Christians should work to free themselves up from unnecessary debt if they can help it. Um, Sandra and I, most of you know, we relocated here nine years ago and being financial free allowed for us to do so. I don't think people understand this in ministry. Uh, and I say this for those of you who are aspiring to be in full time gospel ministry. Being financially free really helps with that, um, because if we moved down here and Brywood helped us. And, but Brywood couldn't help me have my good credit score. That was based on me and Sandra just knowing what we needed to do. So therefore, we had to put our credit score out there. And so and it, all kinds of stuff was coming back. Man, I had to sign like I was signing my life away. But if I would have had bad credit, we probably wouldn't have urban hope. So that's important to understand that what Paul is saying here and being a good Christian. Uh, he says um, to be free of this debt. And so having a good credit score and being financially responsible and being very generous in our giving towards things that impact eternity, not the temporal stuff, that's important. But Paul tells us here today, but there is a debt that as Christians that we can never get out from under. There is one debt, Paul says, that you should never want to get rid of. You should always have this debt. And Paul says, and that is the debt to love, to walk in love and to love one another. For the one who loves another, Paul says here, has fulfilled the law. Now, Paul is getting this from the commandments 
Jesus says in Matthew 22, verse 36 to verse 40, I'm going to read it to you. He said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. Jesus says the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself and all the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Jesus says loving God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind and to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says these two commands, they fulfill the law of God. And we know in 1 John 4, 16, John tells us that God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. And so remember that the Christians who are in the church in Rome, this is important what Paul is telling them, the Christians who are in the church in Rome, that they have come from all sorts of backgrounds. They're Jews, the Greeks. If you know anything about the Jews and Greeks, they have a history, a long history. They quite don't like each other. You don't see a Jew and a Gentile going out for lunch, eating, drinking coffee at Starbucks. But here in the church in Rome, there are both Jews and Greeks. They're Gentiles. They're patricians, which is one of the social class that was in Rome at this time, which are the upper middle class people from noble families. They're the higher ups. They're those who run the country. And then you got the equestrians who were the business owners and workers. They were high and mighty. And then you had the plebeians, which were the working class, folks like me, working class, just poor down in Sardis. They don't have a whole lot of money. They don't have a whole lot of education. They don't have a whole lot of nothing. But they do work. So I would have been in the plebeians count. No, I would have been a little farther down the road. I would have been a free slave. No, I wouldn't have been a free slave because I'm going to get to that. I would have just been a slave. And so you have them, the working class type people. And then you have the free slaves and then you have the present slaves who had not gotten their freedom yet. And Paul is telling this church. I really want you to understand. Paul is telling these Christians in Rome. He says to agape pale each other, to love each other. By doing this, you fulfill the law of God, Paul says. Now, early on, Paul has dealt with this love thing. In Romans chapter 12, verse 9, Paul admonishes us and Christians in Rome and all the church world to love without hypocrisy. What does he mean by that? Meaning that we are to love should be sincere. Take our mask off. Why is that important? Because this word um, without hypocrisy is kind of the play acting role where people will walk around and pretend that they were something that they were not. But Paul said for the Christians, what do we all have in common? We were all born dead, not alive in Egypt. Satan, the God of this world, he was our father. None of us was born. It doesn't matter what family you had, what grandma prayers she prayed. You were born dead in your sins and trespasses. So Paul says, love without hypocrisy, meaning you can just be free. You can just be free. Hey, let me, if I were to put the mic in front of you, hey, come share your testimony. You all should have the same story. Before I met God, I was this and that at Auburn. <laughs> I did this and that at Miles. 
I was a lowdown, cheated on my taxes or whatever it is. Now, some of us may have had it a little better. You know, we may have just sinned just a little bit. You know, we just sinned just thinking. We, we thought it, but we never did it. <laughs> we saw the girl on the campus. We said, oh, we just, we had a clean thought. Amen. <laughs> Walked into TJ Maxx, we never said, man, I don't need them Jordans. I remember one time, man, back in my day, I was in uh, JCPenney's. You know, I'm a big guy. I don't know what I was thinking. Sunday afternoon. And I was in JCPenney's and I saw some Nike shorts. I think Jordan had just got done playing the, playing the Pistons. The Pistons may have beat him. So I'm in, I'm in uh, JCPenney's in Grand Rapids. I'm in there looking around, just walking around. Saw some shorts, put the shorts on, and put my shorts over. Thought I was getting away, scotch free. Walking out the door. And that's when I saw why he got cold to me. Come here, sir. I knew I was in trouble. I started crying like a baby. Oh, help me, Jesus. So, <laughs> Pastor Hardy, man, I hadn't read Romans yet. <laughs> God got a hold of me. So, Paul says to love without hypocrisy, meaning let your love be sincere. No fakeness. Why? Because we all need the same grace. This is why Paul can tell these Romans who come from all different and various backgrounds. You can love sincere because we all have been saved by the grace of God. So Paul says, no fakeness. Take out the mask. Be who you are. Be genuine. And so the church of the redeemed should be the true, authentic visual of the love of God. Therefore, being the fulfillment of the law. When we got, when we love each other as God has loved us. Now, Apostle Paul, now in his, he makes this very important statement here in transitioning into verse 11. He makes this important statement. And Carl, I want you to put verse 11 back up there of Romans. Yeah. And so he's making this transition. This kind of seems like it just comes out of nowhere. But this is where knowing the Greek and stuff is it's really it's very um, it's, it's, there's a continuity to it and it, it sticks together. And so Paul is really trying to help these Roman Christians understand some. And so this is where I'm really going to spend a lot of my time, not on the first part, but on this part, because this is important. Paul says, besides this, you see, he's 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 got the transition here. He just told them to love each other. Oh, nobody, nothing. Get, make sure you live free. Stop chasing the fallacies and the, and the falseness of the world. But have one debt you should always have, the debt of love. You should always be a loving people. And then he says, besides this, since you know the time, it is already the hour for you to wake up from sleep. Because now our salvation is nearer then we first believe. Paul says the time. The Greek word here is time is kairos. It's not the Greek word chronos, which is chronological time. It's kairos, meaning a season or consisting of occasions for particular events. It's a moment. It's, Paul says it's the kairos moment. Understand the time, Romans and then he says, wake up, be alert. It means to become awake after sleeping. 
Paul says, wake up, Romans. Wake up, Christians. Be alert. Stop sleeping. Open your eyes and see what's happening all around you. So here we see this metaphor that Paul is using here. This metaphor of being alert was a very common in Jesus teaching and Apostle Paul. And so I'm going to run through some slides to just show you how important this is. And I really want you guys to stay with me. So here's the first slide, because Jesus talked like this all the time. And this is important for you millennials, because most of you live not hearing this and you don't teach it to yourselves. So you need an old head in the room to help you remember Jesus is not missing his words. And Paul is not as well. Here it goes. Matthew 24, 42, 44. Jesus teaching. Jesus talking to us. See, I emboldened it in black because I want you to see. Jesus said, therefore, be alert. Stop sleeping. Since you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Let me, let me stop here. What if Jesus said tomorrow, well, on Friday? How would your life change? Jesus said, on Friday, I'm coming. Then I'll probably say, man, that's not enough time to get married. <laughs> Come on, Lord, help me out. <laughs> Can I get some years? Can I get some chronos time? <laughs> but what if the Lord said, I'm coming back on Friday? Some of you be trying to sell your Jordans, be trying to sell your car, because you still, you still think it's about money. <laughs> no money is going up yonder. <laughs> I know that's what they tell you in the prosperity gospel. Nah. All that paper is going to be left here on the ground. And Pastor Hart is going to walk around and pick it up and put it in the coppers. No, that's not the case. <laughs> I'm going to be going up too. But here, therefore be alert since you don't know what day your Lord is coming. But know this, if the homeowner had known what time the thief was coming, now we got to have cameras. I don't know when that thief going to come. <laughs> I got them cameras. I can see when he's coming. His shadow comes by 337 and my camera will light up on him. <laughs> So we don't know what time the thief was coming. He would have stayed alert and not let his house be broken into. This is why you are also to be ready, Jesus says, because the son of man is coming at an hour, Kairos, that you do not expect. Next slide. And Mark, Jesus again, here again, different subject, same thing. Watch, be alert, wake up, for you don't know when the time is coming. You don't know. He said, be alert. It is like a man on a journey who left his house and he gave authority to his servants. He gave each one his work and he commanded the doorkeeper to be alert. Therefore, be alert, Jesus says. Since you don't know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening or at midnight or at the crowing of the rooster at early in the morning. Otherwise, when he comes and suddenly he will might find you sleeping. Back to what Paul says in the sleeping that he might find you sleeping. He don't want you to be sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to everyone, Jesus says, be alert. Next verse, slide. 
Jesus again. He says, be ready for service. Be about the business of the father. Have your lamps lit. Be filled up with the Holy Ghost. Be filled up with the spirit. You are to be like people waiting for their master, King Jesus, to return from the wedding banquet so that when he comes and he knocks, they can open the door for him at once, Jesus says. In the next slide, he says, look at this. Think Jesus does not understand. It's, I see Christians, I'm getting ahead of myself. I don't understand this time thing. You know, and people die every day. And, you know, Jesus, you don't know when I'm coming. You don't know when you're going to go home. You don't know when I'm going to take you. You might not have as much time as you think you may have. What if Jesus said you got to next year? See, if you knew that, it would change everything you're doing here today. But what Jesus tells us is to live like that could happen because you don't know. So he says, be on your guard so that your minds are not dull from the carousing of the world. Drunkenness and worries of life. Always worry about something you got no business worrying about. Jesus said, you, your worrying can't add one thing to your life. You worrying about what Russia going to do. You worrying about what some, some dictator in Cuba is going to do. It's not going to stop anything. Or when that day will come on you unexpectedly, Jesus says, like a trap, for it will come on all who live on the face of the whole earth, Jesus says. But you be alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Most people have no idea and I keep saying it here at Urban Hope, that there is a day of reckoning that is coming to every person, every soul, person who has ever lived. Your life, my life, the unbeliever's life, the believer's life will give an account. Jesus says, you need to be prepared for that day. What you do and what you don't do. That's important. And so we see in these verses, we see the emphasis on the now. Be alert. Stay alert. Stay focused. Paul is exhorting the believers to do loving things for each other. When? Now. I need you to love each other on this side. I need you to fulfill the law of God on this side. Not wait till you get to the by and by. I need you in Rome right now, Jew and Gentile. Poor and free, middle class and unmiddle class. I need you to love each other. When? Right now. <laughs> well, I'm going to wait and see what president we might have. <laughs> Jesus didn't say, Paul, put in there, it depends on what president they may have so they can love each other. He doesn't say that. He said, I need you in Rome to love each other right now. Live out the gospel now, knowing the reality that night was nearly over 
The time of darkness, roaming the earth, all that we see was wrong in the world. It's considered in a metaphor way, the night. Paul says the night was, is nearly over and the day is, is, is near. Where it's going to be nothing but daylight because Jesus will be the light. <laughs> and there ain't going to be no more sin. Ain't going to be no more adultery. Ain't going to be no more lying. There ain't going to be no more racism. Ain't going to be no more bad cops. Ain't going to be no more bad nobody. Going to be all light all time. And all the bad and unrepentant and unredeemed will be, as the word of God says in Revelation 21, in the lake of fire. That day. Sobering reality. So Paul says, knowing the reality that night is nearly over and the day is near and the return of Christ is more imminent than it ever has before. Jesus could come tonight at 12 o'clock. Even as I say that, some say, well, he's not going to come tonight. <laughs> what if he does? So Paul says, Love now. But what happens when we don't stay focused? When we don't take heed what Jesus is telling us in this over and over again? We don't stay focused. We don't stay alert. We don't stay on guard. In other words, we stay asleep. And we become intoxicated. Intoxicated with the wine of the world. And many Christians that I've watched from social media and all over the place are constantly filled up with bitterness, anger and resentment. Therefore, they're sleeping Christians. They're asleep. They don't understand the kairos, the moment that could happen at any time. And therefore, as Paul says here in the text, Carl, you can put the text back up, uh, back to um, Romans. Paul says, um, verse 12 the night is nearly over and the day is near. So let us discard the deeds of Skotos, darkness, and put on the armor of light. This word darkness, Skotos, which is a condition resulting from the partial or complete absence of light. When we be sleep, we're not alert. We don't understand the kairos, the moment, the seasons, how the brevity and the shortness of life that Jesus can come any moment. We get caught up with the wine of the world. So therefore, Paul says to the Romans, he says to all Christians, therefore, we get caught up in carousing, which is, is drinking parties. The Rome, it's all they did, toga parties, with leads in one translation says orgies, unrestrained in indulgence of alcohol beverages, just drunk all the time. Can't do anything but just drink. It's just they just partying and drinking all the time. Paul says, don't when you get drunk on the wine of the world and you lose sight of being alert, Paul says to the wrong Christians, they just fill their lives up with carousing. Then the next thing Paul says they didn't involve themselves in sexual impurity. And all kinds of immoralities of every kind. This is what you see in America. It's like, it's like, man, okay, you know, I told you guys five years ago when we passed a law, I said, you better get ready. And it hasn't stopped, it hasn't slowed down every day. It just keeps coming. Like, okay, what, I don't know what, Jen, what do you want me to say? 
I don't know. I, I'm not God. All I know is male and female. If you got some new genders, please go talk to God about that. Because I don't even know anything about it. So Paul says, when you get drunk on the wine of the world, and he said it in Rome, the sexual impurity, it never stops. It's like, okay, bro, I heard you. Enough with enough of the music. Can you just make one good song like they did in the old days? <laughs> so we can play it at the weddings. <laughs> you don't always have to go right there. <laughs> but Paul says, sexual immorality, sexual impurity, then leads to what you see every day. Quarreling and jealousy, violent conflicts, discords, strife, and strong feelings of resentment. So when you get out of the light and you're not being alert, as Jesus says, you become carousing, intoxicated with the world. And then you just start picking up the world. The world is always hostile. They can't love each other. They don't know how. That's why we sing the song. How do we love God? See, that's why we got to understand we love God because what? It's not you love God because God didn't love you. If God didn't love us, we would be doing the same thing. This is why we don't have to. We can take up the mask. We don't have to be hypocrisy about it because we are what we are because of the grace of God. We're not who we are because of us. We are who we are because of God's grace. So the world, quarreling, jealousy, what you got? Oh, let me go get that. Try to outdo you. I went in the mall. You know, our little mall here is hanging on by a thread. But man, they still can sell some Jordans. So I went in there, um, going to the wedding. So I said, you know, I'm going to try to match Dion and Murphy with a little outfit. So I'll try to go in and find me a little bow tie that would match their colors. So I go up in the mall. I'm like, what are these long lines for? So I went to the police, little, little, little Jefferson County police officer. I said, man, why are all these black folks in here standing in this line for? He said, oh, you haven't heard? No. Jordans. <laughs> Jordans. <laughs> Me and Sandra could we had to park way down by the gas station somewhere because we couldn't even get in a parking spot. And man, there were so many people in that Western Hill malls, and they were all in there for what? Michael Jordan making some money. <laughs> they should be here hearing the sermon. Somebody should give it to him. Say, man, <laughs> Jordan's not going to heaven with you. Jesus taking all that stuff and throwing it right back on the earth. <laughs> but here we see quarreling, jealousy, conflicts, fights. Paul says, but when you are and I are awake from our sleep, the first thing you do when you're awake from your sleep should be go in and brush your teeth, take a shower, whatever, do your little devotions. And you should go in your closet and do what? And put on some clothes. Verse 14 says, when you're awake, spiritually awake, Paul used the metaphor, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a battle term. This is a fight. You got to be alert. You got to be a soldier in the army. You can't be entangled with the affairs of this world. You got to be alert. Paul says, put on. Put on what? Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let him be your clothing. 
which means to put on as a garment, this word here in this Greek word to put on. Put on the Jesus Christ. He, he, let him be your garment. Let him empower you. Get up in the morning with your mind made up, set on the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul says to the Romans. Put him on. Don't get up and put on King Vine. Don't get up and put on some rap music. Get up and put on Jesus. Let your mind be made up and set your, thing, your mind on the things which are above, Paul says. Be empowered with Christ. This metaphor to put on, it means to, to put on King Jesus' values and his virtues. Do as what he would do. What would Jesus do at your job if he was at your job? Would he see a brother who's sinning? With his girlfriend, with his boyfriend, or whatever, with Jesus just sitting there with his mouth closed, knowing that that young man or young woman who's headed to a place called Abyss, or would Jesus say, hey, have you heard about me? What did he do with the woman at the well? Jesus went all the way to the well to tell that woman named Samantha, who had had five husbands, and Jesus, the one you with now is not your husband. You're still sleeping around. But Samantha, as we like to call her in Samaria, the woman, Came to a senses. So what would Jesus do if he was in your place? Would he be quiet? Would he not share the good news? Would he fold his arms and say, you know what? They don't want to hear anything about the good news. Jesus said, what'd you try and see? <laughs> Won't you just, hey, let's go out to dinner, go out to lunchtime, let me take you out. I'll treat. Hey, man, can I tell you my, my faith story? Whatever. And that's when Christianity becomes alive. You start to see that it is by the work of the spirit. So he says, put on his virtues, his values. You live and think for eternity and not for the temporal. To be alert and to understand the time, the kairos and what the will, as Chad read earlier in Ephesians 5. To be alert and to understand the time and what the will of the Lord is. Do you understand what the will of the Lord is for you? Paul says, be alert. Don't be asleep. Wake up, Christians. The Christian life is a holy life. It's a godly life. Don't put off tomorrow what you can do today. The time is now, the present time, to live for him and to glorify him forever. I started off this sermon by telling you all that how Sandra and I, um, in many ways, um, we minimize our debt. Um, and before we came into gospel ministry, uh, we downsized. Um, we prepared ourselves and I don't talk about this a lot and, and sometimes, but because I'm in the process of just trying to raise up leaders, spiritual leaders in the inner city that will give their lives away. So I had to tell these stories, not for my good, but, but it wasn't just Sandra and I just woke up one day. No, it, it, we were prepared. We, 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 we downsized. Uh, we lived modestly. We, we said, no, we, we're going to be in gospel ministry. And I had made my mind up. I didn't want to be no millionaire. I didn't want to be some Bill Gates. 
It ain't working out for him, by the way. <laughs> so some of you want to be pill cakes. Look at him. I heard him repenting and saying, man, I'm sorry I messed up. I wish I would have known better. Bill Gates, come to Urban Hope and please tell that sermon to all the hood and say, hey, don't be like Bill Gates. <laughs> so it don't work out anyway. So we minimize and we prepared ourselves for full-time gospel ministry because we knew that ministry among the urban poor, the inner city was going to be our mission field. So we did our best to live with frugalness, in this present age, we didn't say, oh, well, we're going to wait till we get to 60. We're going to live the Bible, the good, you know, just, and then when I get 60, then I come to Fairfield. <laughs> then I give you my best. I'm 75 now. I'm about ready to clock out. <laughs> Hips bad, eyes dim, but now I want to run hard for you. <laughs> I see that a lot of times. People get, they get, oh, they golf, vacation as much as they can get. Now they're 80 years old. Pastor, we got some work for me to do. <laughs> Man, what was you doing 30 years ago? Well, that's a whole nother story. Because I get it. I see it. Satan is real. People's like, man, you, they live like that and they realize it didn't give them what they thought. So I'm trying to tell you, the time is now. It's not always later because you may not get later. So, so Sandra and I, we were said in our hearts, God, we want to do ministry for you because we knew the day that the day would come that you would hold us accountable. The day of final judgment is, is intimate, it's here. But more importantly, we wanted God to be glorified in the urban community. We wanted God to be glorified in the urban community like a fair field. If you spend time with me, you will hear that come out over and over again. I'm not saying anything different. I say, God, the little short life I have, I want you to want, I want you to make a statement to everybody. I want you to show people that the power of the gospel, what it does. So I wanted God to, to be glorified in an urban community like Fairfield with true love that comes about through the gospel and bringing about true, authentic, genuine reconciliation. I want God to show people that don't care what you say or what your grandmother said or what somebody wrote about and what this and this person, all the anti-racism people. I want to show you and say, God, show them who you are. Show you them that you create billions of stars and galaxies and no one can stop you. Not one person can stay your hand. That has been my heart's cry. I said, God, do it before I close my eyes. And God said, he's been watching. I thought I was going to be in Grand Rapids. God said, oh, no. Grand Rapids, nobody know anything about GR. What's Grand Rapids? When I bring up Grand Rapids, Michigan, some of y'all are like, what is Grand Rapids, Michigan? Just a little town. Chris was the real city, Detroit. Grand Rapids is a small city. God said, no, I'm going to bring you to Birmingham. I'm going to bring you to a poor community. And watch. Paul says, now is the time. So if I've been waiting around, God said, now. Now. Not when I get to heaven. 
And then God gave me Ephesians 3.10. Now through the church, right now, I don't want the manifold to be displayed when you guys get to heaven, when you all around me, where there are no more demons, there are no more naysayers, there are no more no one that can hate on you. I want you to show the people while you live who I am. Give me a Red Sea and watch me split it. Give me something where the world say it can't be done, that I'll show the world. Now, these are my people who have come to Fairfield and to turn Fairfield upside down for the glory of God. Here are people who've been called out of Egypt. Here are people who've been saved out of all kind of lifestyle. And God said, now watch what I do. When? When we get to heaven. Where there ain't no more Satans, no more imps, no more demons. No, right now, where they can watch and see the manifold wisdom of God be displayed to the powers and the rulers and the authorities and the heavenly realms as they watch, but they can't stop Yahweh. They can't stop him. Because he's too big and he's too bad and he's too strong. They couldn't stop Paul. When they threw him in jail, Paul says in Philippians 1, me being in prison, me being unjustified, is that a new word? Me being beat up, thrown down, spit on, beat up, has served to advance the gospel. Satan says, I can't win. When I beat him up, he gets a testimony. When I cook him up, he gets a testimony. What can I do to stop God? Nothing. What he does do, he lures us into an apathy, lethargicness, and a complacency that comes from the appetites of the world. And we drink the world's wine. And then we start to sleep while we're living. And then sooner or later, life is gone. And we say, wow, that's how he does it. It's when the Christians become corrals, as Jesus says. And you forget all of what I just said here today. So you go back home. Man, I, you know, I told myself, and I'm serious with y'all, I don't care about sports. Have not watched one NBA game. Don't care, not gonna talk about it. Who cares? What's the eternal significance on it? A 6'11 guy that can dunk a basketball? I have time for it. Don't care if Alabama wins this year. Don't bring it up to me. Don't invite me over to watch the game with you because I'm not coming. Now I come for the fellowship. <laughs> but roll tide has been rolled over by the Lord. It's insignificant. As long as you beat Georgia Bulldogs, though. <laughs> I had to throw that out there for you, Greg. I saw you face. <laughs> but anyway, that's how we live. It's what we do it for. It's right now. Jesus is knocking. He's knocking. He says, right now, you don't know what day I'm going to come for you. You don't know what day I'm going to come back. You know, I often say to myself, you know, you know, I didn't think I was going to make it to 50. I didn't think I was going to make it to 30. Now I made it to 50. Man, I keep stretching out. Because I tell all the guys around me, man, I'm going home pretty soon. Pastor Hart, would you please shut up about going home? <laughs> you know, for me, I live in view of this stuff. 
Because I don't want to be surprised. <laughs> so I'm trying to be wide awake when he comes. Lord, can I be awake when you come get me? And I already told Sandra, if I, Lord, if you come, can I be holding Sandra's hands? I don't know if he's going to honor that, but that's my prayer. Like, when I, when I clock out, I want my queen <laughs> next to me. And just read Psalm 23 over me. <laughs> Though I go through the valley. <laughs> Sing it over me. Go get Karen and Bree and all the rest of them. Just start doing whatever y'all need to do. <laughs> just make sure I know what I know. Here's the time. This is important for us as young church. Now's the time. Don't wait to put off today what you can put off tomorrow what you can do today. Don't wait. You live for the glory of God now. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, that you are a God who redeems us out of the pit and to make us alive so that we would glorify you in all that we do and say. You've come to save us from Egypt, out of the land of the miry clay, sin and death, and to bring us to the promised land where we lived for your glory and your honor. And Lord, we, you're calling us to deeper waters. You're calling us to get out the boat and to trust you. And it's always a walk of faith to trust either God who's sovereign over all, a God who's providentially says to us that you will take care of us, that you will always provide for us. And Lord, we will never get to know that or see that until we step out. Um, you are faithful. You've been faithful to your kingdom since the beginning and you will be faithful until the end because you've told us that you would never leave us nor forsake us. And Father, you're doing great works here in Fairfield in spite of our doubts and unbelief and fear and timidity. I know I've had all of that and much more, but yet you've been faithful to keep your promises for which you promise. And now, Lord, I pray as a church, Lord, remind us, Lord, remind us as you reminded the church in Rome through Paul's writing. And now Paul's writings are reminding us today that we are to live for the moment that we have now to love each other. And Lord, we want to be a church here in Fairfield that displayed the gospel love of Jew and Gentile in our context as the black and white. Father, we know it hasn't been done well, especially here in Birmingham, especially here in the South. But we pray, Father, that you would be, be faithful to keep your promise. That as we go to this new building, Lord, that you would bring people from all wide and near, indigenously and everywhere else, Lord. That you would just come in and show out, Father. That you would make your name known. That you would bring the poor, the rich, the middle class and all of the above and that your presence and your power and your spirit would just sweep over us. God, that we would be caught up in your glory. And that we would sing unto you new songs and praises from our heart. For you are worthy of the praise and the honor and the glory. There is no one like you, Father. There is no one who can stop your plans for your plans are all working themselves out according to your purpose for which you have decreed from all eternity. Our salvation was of your doing. You called us first and we came. You brought us from death to life. You made us alive. 
And Father, we pray that you will continue to do that in Fairfield. Bring every young boy and girl, Father, who's hurting, who's abandoned, who's fatherless, who's motherless, who's bound by all kinds of drugs and everything else. Father, we pray that you would come to Fairfield, the Egypt of our time, and that you would set those who are your children free and that Pharaoh's hand, Satan's hands would be broken off of them, Father, in the mighty name of Jesus. And that you would bring them, Father, that you would bring them from Egypt, Father, so that they will worship you in spirit and in truth. We thank you for it now, Father. We bless your holy name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please stand to your feet.